Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process with superior materials craftsmanship best in class warranty morton buildings are made to last for generations at morton the difference is in the details from their cutting edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field they are dedicated to surpassing expectations their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years and morton buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down everything happening with the New York Giants as we inch closer to the start of training camp. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We won't be taking phone calls over the course of this program, but we are going to continue our opponent preview. And Paul, right off the top, let's turn our attention to the Green Bay Packers because for the first time in quite some time, Green Bay is in transition. They went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> And now it is the Jordan Love era kicking off. And to delve more into the Packers and what to expect from them, we are now joined by Mike Heller, sports talk radio host in Wisconsin, who you could hear on 97.3 The Game. Mike, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Everything is good. Looking forward to the start of camp. We'll be up there in less than two weeks for the Green Bay Packers and can't wait. Uh, it's going to be. A, I, I'm glad you used the term transition rather than rebuild. It's been a point of contention for Packers fans, maybe a little bit in the organization since uh, Aaron Rodgers jettisoned Green Bay for the New York Jets. Well, there's weaponry around the quarterback and on the defensive side of the ball. That's why I would disagree. Anybody who wants to paint the Packers is rebuilding it. As you well know, Mike, the turnover rate in the NFL is unlike any other professional sport. Every team tweaks the roster year to year. So I don't think what Green Bay is going through is any different. But let's start, obviously, with the topic at hand, and that is the quarterback situation. To me, it's a little bit of the unknown here, Mike, and I'm curious your perspective of what you've seen from afar and up close and personal because the only thing we really have to operate on is to me the start against the Kansas City Chiefs two years ago when Aaron Rodgers had COVID and the results were not very encouraging overall from an offensive standpoint so what are the expectations here going in in terms of he knows the offense he's been involved watching from the sidelines over the course of the years but what do you expect him to do in his first go around as the actual every down starter here Lance, Jordan, Jordan has uh, thrown 83 NFL passes in three full seasons. So what we, what we don't know far outnumbers what we do know or outweighs what we know. Here's, here's, I guess, the look at Jordan Love. He came on in relief of Aaron Rodgers at Philadelphia late third quarter and in the fourth quarter last year and performed really well. It had people a little bit fired up about what he can be. It's just that the sample set is small. In fact, the sample set is only one of a first-round drafted quarterback getting his first regular starts in year four. The only other one 
that we know of that's done that is Aaron Rodgers. So the sample set is small. Love has done enough things for the Packers front office to think he can be the guy. But for anybody to suggest that they know he'll be the guy or they know he'll fail is, at this point, silly. And you know when when we'll know? We'll know starting September 9th. We won't know during preseason games. We won't know during training camp. He's shown the ability to make the throws and to move around in the pocket and do the things you have to do to be successful. But I think, you know, Lance, you and Paul both certainly know that you can't judge what a player does until they're playing under real regular season game situations. And Jordan Love just has very little of that in his track record. So the Giants won't be playing Green Bay until uh, the 11th of December, which is a real, real long time. And by then, who knows if Jordan Love will even be the quarterback for Green Bay. And the reason that I bring that question up is because behind him, I think they've left themselves very exposed. Uh, what, Eitling and, and Clifford, the rookie they just drafted, are the two quarterbacks on the depth chart. What if Jordan Love turns out to have trouble and he's not what they think he could be in the first five or six weeks of the season? They really don't have any place to turn, do they? No, it, yeah, you're right. It's Sean Clifford and Danny Etling that are the backups. And so there has been some conversation in – media circles about the likes of a Teddy Bridgewater or somebody else come to Green Bay at some point. I don't know if they'll do that. Uh, but, yeah, they. when you talk about that position, of which it's Jordan Love who has one NFL career start, and then Sean Clifford and Danny Etling, and then you talk about the wide receivers with Christian Watson, Samari Turi, and Romeo Dobbs, most people don't know those names. They're, they're all in their second year, and their their next receiver is Jaden Reed, who's a rookie. So they have their top four receivers are three first year, uh, three second year guys, and a first year guy. And their quarterback is a first year starter with two guys that haven't played in the league behind them. Yeah, that's a roll of the dice for Matt Lafleur and Brian Gutekunst, the general manager. That's a roll of the dice that Jordan Love is not only going to be the guy but he's going to be healthy and the guy because the backup just has no legs to him. Do they have money under their cap? I haven't looked at their economic factors to perhaps entice one of these veteran quarterbacks who are still sitting out there and, and maybe give them a couple of bucks to bring them in, or are they so yeah. strapped that they can't do it? Yeah, they're a little strapped. I mean, obviously they've got a lot of dead cap money, including Aaron Rodgers' money, um, that, that hurts them on the cap. So they don't have a whole lot of financial wiggle room with which to operate. It'll clear up a great deal a year from now, but right. that doesn't help you in the moment. So yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting. The offense, if I'm going to jump ship here on you a little bit. The offense will be interesting in this regard. A lot of people, for Matt LaFleur now in his fifth year, keeping in mind that he won 13 games at each of his first three seasons as an NFL head coach, a couple of NFC championship game appearances, last year eight and nine, but this for many they think will be the first true iteration of what Matt LaFleur's offense looks like because there was so much given to Aaron Rodgers with the ability to run his own concept once he got to the line of scrimmage. So it, it, the offense here, really good running game, really good offensive line, right. questions at wide receiver, all rookies essentially at tight end, and a, and a rookie starting quarterback in his fourth year. But it's, he's a rookie, make no mistakes about it. Well, Mike, I want to expand on that point because that's where I wanted to take this conversation. The optics from an offensive standpoint, based on what you talked about, okay, if your team's strength is up front on the offensive line, your most proven commodities are in the backfield with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, it would make sense that Matt LaFleur and company would want to lean heavily on the ground attack and then as the season progresses, allow Jordan Love as he gets more and more comfortable to spread his wings. What I'm getting at is... How run-heavy do you think this offense will be at least for the first quarter, if not the first half of this season? Well, think of the left side of this offensive line, which is David Bakhtiari. He only started 11 games last year, coming back from significant knee issues for about two years. He's 31 years old. When he's healthy, I think he has been arguably 
one of the top three left tackles in the league. Mm-hmm. You just don't beat him. If he's healthy, last year he didn't practice at all and, and was a question mark each week in game prep. But if he and Elton Jenkins, their left guard, if they're both healthy and on the field, I would argue that there aren't any, there aren't many left sides of an offensive line that can be better. That illustrates your point of the ability to run the football with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. However, this is a league that if you don't throw it and you're not successful throwing the football, you're going to have problems. So I think they'd love to be able to run the football to set up the throw, but I think some would argue, Lance, that they're going to have to throw in order to keep defenses honest so they don't take away the running game. And and that's where Christian Watson, who is an extraordinary talent, second-year wide receiver, and Romeo Dobbs, who they love in his second year, these guys have to take a quantum leap forward as wide receivers to make the running game work. The defenses have to play honest. Well, I'd like to build off of that point in the passing game for just a second because tight end Luke Musgrave came out with some pretty high accolades in what was supposed to be a very strong tight end class this past spring. Is it likely that he is forced to make a big impact right away because of maybe some of the other questions in the wide receiver room? Yeah, without question. And he's a rookie tight end. I, I think some would argue, uh, Paul, that the tight end position is incredibly hard for a rookie because you've got, you've got to function as an offensive lineman and as a receiver and hot reads and, and things that tight ends learn to do over time. So athletically, he's gifted. He, he's a seam buster up the middle. He's got some speed. He's got some wiggle. Their big tight end will be Tucker Kraft, another rookie. So they have some issues at that position, but I would agree with your view on that. But when you're talking about the ability to get things done in the throw game, Luke Musgrave, who nobody here has seen play, he's going to, you know, when he goes to camp in two weeks, it'll be his first time other than the OTA in a Packers uniform. He's going to have to be a difference maker. That's a really, you know, that brings me back to that point I was making about three second-year wide receivers being your one, two, and three, and then a rookie being your slot receiver in Jaden Reed out of Michigan State, and two rookies at tight end. So that is why the offense is such a mystery in Green Bay as to what it will be in the throw game because there's no track record for any of them to look back at and say, well, he's done this over the last three years because three years ago none of these guys were in the league. Boy, that's going to be a fun huddle when they all look at the quarterback and say, we're not sure what to do, and he says, don't look at me. (laughs) Sure. Well, the positive is they're all going to be hopefully growing together simultaneously, so maybe two to three years down the road you can have that experience and maybe this group can really produce consistently. And I know you said, Mike, it's a big guessing game, but Christian Watson, I thought, showed some really nice flashes last season. He obviously had that huge drop right out of the gates against the Vikings, but as the year went along, and granted it was Aaron Rodgers throwing the football, he seemed to be a key weapon. What type of a jump do you think he could potentially make in year two? And given he may be the most proven commodity, how fair is it to say that in all likelihood he's going to be the number one guy this season when you take into consideration the receivers and the tight ends? He's probably the most explosive guy in the throw game. He caught 41 balls last year, 611 yards and seven touchdowns. Now those touchdowns came in bunches. In a, in a three-week span, he had uh, six touchdowns uh, six touchdowns over three weeks, Philadelphia, Tennessee, and Dallas in the middle of the season. He didn't play early because he wasn't healthy. So his deal is a hamstring and a leg issue, soft tissue issue for Christian Watson. If he's healthy, his talent is – he doesn't have a whole lot of comps because he's tall, lanky, and super fast. He'll run away from you in a heartbeat. He's 6'4", 208. He's easily their biggest game-breaker, but it is a guy that a lot of people don't think about or talk about, Romeo Dobbs, who's in his second year, who likely has to be their top receiver from the numbers game, number of catches, number of targets. He's not Devontae Adams, but they have to have him be uh, an assimilation of Devontae Adams. He's got to be the go-to guy in the throw game with Watson being your game-breaker, either by getting him on the edges on jet sweeps or reverses, but also getting him outside in any bubble screen 
to let his talent take over. That whole position, super talented, no depth, zero depth. Everybody behind the four guys I mentioned, which are three second-year guys and a first-year guy, everybody else is a rookie. That's the other question, Mark, when, Paul, you brought up earlier, are you surprised they haven't brought in a veteran quarterback? Do they have room to bring in a veteran quarterback? The other question for a lot of us covering the team is, why did you not bring in a veteran wide receiver to work with some of these young guys? Randall Cobb went to the New York Jets. A guy like a Randall Cobb would be a great fit to be in Green Bay because he's going to be the oldest guy by a decade in the wide receiver room, and they need a player teacher, I think, but we'll see how that plays. Uh, I'm going to help you out here. The Giants have a really deep wide receiver room, so if you want to let the Packers know that maybe they could make a deal with a draft choice, the Giants are going to have to cut some pretty quality receivers here uh, when it comes down to the 53. But let's go back to the running game because that's something we know they've got between Jones and Dillon. And last year it was about a 55-45% split the way they ran those two guys. Do you expect to see the same thing again from them this year in terms of how they share the load? Yeah, I'm wondering if Aaron Jones doesn't get a bigger share of, of that workload. A.J. Dillon is a uh, what we used to call a mother, right? It's somebody who is going to be better in second half, better later in the season, better in home games at Lambeau in December and January, where maybe some defenders are less wanting to take on the, the abuse that a big trucking running back like A.J. Dillon can deliver. But it's Aaron Jones who had 213 rushes a year ago for 1,120 yards, but only a couple of touchdowns. It's Aaron Jones that I think has to get more featured in the number of touches he gets. Uh, he's an extraordinary talent, uh, but from a running back standpoint, 28 years old, he'll turn 29 during the season. That's very old in the running back game in this league so part of the question is, what is still there with Aaron Jones? How much will they use him? A.J. Dillon's a totally different back. It's, it's a lightning and thunder concept between these two. Jones' speed and versatility and A.J. Dillon to run you over. But if A.J. Dillon had to be your primary featured back, I don't know how successful he can be. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Mike Heller, Sports Talk Radio host in Wisconsin. You can hear him on 97.3 The Game. Mike, it's funny because we're talking about maybe the Packers could have been a little bit more aggressive in adding some depth, though. As I switch over to the defensive side of the ball, as you well know, the narrative surrounding the Packers for years has been they usually are not a big playmaker in free agency. They build around the draft specifically mm-hmm. on the defensive side of the ball, so it's no surprise they weren't very active on that side. Basically, the only guy of note you can argue that they wound up bringing in was maybe Jonathan Owens at safety from the Houston Texans. I want to start with the secondary because that unit probably has more continuity than anything else. The biggest question to me is Eric Stokes, who missed the majority of last season with ankle injury. A, what's his status and how beneficial do you think it is that most of the guys that they're bringing back got some good playing time last year within Barry's defense? Yeah, the secondary builds around Jair Alexander, uh, who is an all-pro caliber player, and he is the best player on this defense. Uh, has to be, I should say. Has to be the best player on this defense. Has to be a leader. He's a, he's a game changer. He can make big plays. He can take wide receivers away. The second matchup with Justin Jefferson and Minnesota, they shut him down completely after Jefferson owned the first matchup. And Jair Alexander complained that why wasn't I running with, with J.J. that game? Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, switched up his game plan as the season went along and let Jair Alexander travel a little bit more with the other team's number one, and in particular Justin Jefferson. He's the lead. Rasul Douglas is the other corner. And then Stokes is a health issue. Uh, Stokes, a talent out of Georgia two years ago, his talent is undeniable. But he's got to be healthy, and right now that's a bit of a question mark. It's an ankle, so he should be good to go in camp, but he's going to have to stay healthy. Then the other question you brought up, Jonathan Owens, they have no choice but to go get him from Houston because Adrian Amos, who's been the leader, the captain in the secondary, he left. So now you've got to replace that. The safety position is a big question mark in Green Bay. I think they love their corners, but the safety is the big question mark, and Jonathan Owens – ends up stepping in as, as a leader at the back end of the secondary. 
And that's a question mark as as to how well they can play at that position. I want to go to a different unit, and that's the linebackers, because Rashawn Gary, who came out of Paramus Catholic High School as the number one recruit in the country when he went to Michigan, folks in these parts, Mike, they just absolutely went goo-goo eyes over this guy. There were so many in New Jersey and New York area who wanted him to land with the Giants. Of course, he wound up in Green Bay, and now the ACL injury is certainly something that has kind of sidetracked a career that may not have reached its full potential anyway. I'd like you to give me an assessment not only on where he is now injury-wise, but how do you think the overall trajectory of his pro career has gone? Yeah, I, I think early on the view on him was underachiever. He never fully got the statistics at Michigan that they had expected considering how highly touted, as you just mentioned, he was coming out of high school. But I'll tell you what, the first half of last year, until he got hurt, he was at times unblockable and a full-on game changer. Now the question is, when you come back from an ACL, usually it's the second year back. Maybe that's an old adage about recovering from injury. I was talking with Wayne Larrabee, who's the, the radio voice of the Green Bay Packers, on my show yesterday. And Wayne said that their ex- expectation is that Rashawn Gary is way ahead of schedule mm. and would be essentially not held back when the preseason and exhibition games began. He likely wouldn't play in those, but during training camp, he should almost be good to go. Last year, in limited opportunities, he had six sacks. He, he was very good until he got hurt. So he's a big-time question mark. But when you combine him with Quay Walker in his second year, and Quay's an extraordinary inside talent out of Georgia, and then Devondre Campbell and Preston Smith, your linebacking position should be pretty good. Lucas Van Ness is their overall first-round draft choice out of Iowa. He'll have a hand on the ground occasionally, but otherwise standing up on the edge, they, they'll expect thing, bigger things from him too. But, yeah, that linebacking crew – a lot of it depends on what Rashawn Gary brings to the table because he's your edge rusher. They don't have a replacement for him if he's not healthy. Yeah, because between him and Preston Smith, I mean, you see you could get almost double-digit sacks from each of those guys. They could at least certainly experiment in that department, and you get 20 sacks out of those guys. I mean, I could help bring up a number that was only 34 for the team last season. You brought up Lucas Van Ness. I'm curious, Mike. He and Carl Brooks, I think, both have great opportunities in front of them out of this year's draft mm-hmm. class. What level of an impact? I know you mentioned Van Ness being in the mix as an additional pass rusher, but Brooks specifically up front in terms of helping clog some lanes and putting some pressure on the quarterback. What type of an impact do you think those two in particular can have in year number one? Well, I don't know how much if Van Ness is going to be an every-down player or not. He is a bulldog. He played very well at Iowa. He was a bit of a surprise for Green Bay to go that direction, but I think if if he could follow in that workaholic uh, view of that position group, if, if he can be that bulldog, I think it'll take him a little while. I, I don't know that they're counting on him to be an, a big impact right away, but maybe we'll be surprised when they get to playing games. And I would, I would vary on this, the in-the-middle defense. Devontae Wyatt is a second-year guy from Georgia who also has to emerge. He didn't play enough snaps last year. He he wasn't good enough last year as far as size and understanding the system. Now, Joe Barry stayed on as defensive coordinator. Some wondered about that. Joe Barry stays. Devontae Wyatt gets more comfortable. And in the second year, he can help spell some of the time that and the blockers that Kenny Clark has to take on up the middle. Green Bay Packers were second worst in the league on first down a year ago. They were top eight in the league on third down a year ago. But the game is played on first down. If they're behind the chain defensively after first down, which is the ability to stop the run, they're in trouble. So the question mark on this front seven defensively is how they can stop the run and how they play on first down. And they were terrible in that market a year ago. I want to go back to Brooks, who Lance just mentioned before. I know he was a late pick, sixth rounder. When I was at the Combine in Indianapolis, he was one of the names that kept coming up. So many people said he was like the top snub of the Combine coming out of Bowling Green, you know, not a Power 5 program. And so 
he maybe got lost in the shuffle, but but his his name was very intriguing to a lot of folks, primarily because they weren't sure exactly where he would fit when he got to the NFL because his production was certainly very high level in college. Where do you see the Packers kind of toying with him right now in terms of where they might use him, even if it's only in a very limited role to start with? Yeah, well, he, you know, he's a 179th selection overall, and coming out of a smaller school playing in the MAC, I think the question mark is how will he play against this level of competition? He's one of those guys that we that you look at in training camp and in preseason games to see how he emerges with reps against. You know, they've got two sets of joint practices this year during the preseason. They'll be in Cincinnati with joint practices before the preseason game against the Bengals. And the Patriots come to Green Bay for joint practices before the exhibition finale. I think those two weeks for a guy like Carl Brooks are really going to be very important because some will wonder how he stacks up against big-level competition coming out of the MAC and maybe not seeing that from a week-to-week basis. So he's, he's a question mark in how they'll infiltrate, how they'll work him in in the middle defensively and how he'll stack up against big-time offensive linemen. Mike, it's the forgotten facet of the team, but I think the Packers unfortunately know that if you don't take care of business on special teams, your season can end in an ugly manner. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about last year, but two years ago, especially based what happened with respect to the Niners playoff game. They went out, they got Rich Bisaccia, very well-respected special teams coach, and then the emergence of Keyshawn Nixon in the return game last year I thought was huge. That's why I guess Matt LaFleur was questioned, well, why didn't they start him right out of the gates as opposed to wait a while? Two-parter for you. Number one, how much is special teams, in your mind, no longer as much of a liability based on what you saw last season? And with Nixon, I'm assuming he's going to now have this role from start to finish. How much of a spark do you think he could further provide, at least in the return game? Well, he, he was huge. Pack, uh, Green Bay Packers haven't had a return specialist since Randall Cobb's rookie year in the league. He was the last guy who did it at any level. Basaccia, and, and it's surprising to me at least, surprising how long it takes to change the mentality on special teams. It took the better part of three quarters of the season last year. And Keyshawn Nixon was a big part of that, but I'm talking about all facets of special teams. It took them that long to really get up to speed. They still had some significant breakdowns. Rich Basaccia is a fantastic coach. He is beloved in that locker room. I think that this year's special teams become even less of an issue and maybe a positive attribute for the team for the first time in a long time. However, Mason Crosby is gone as a field goal kicker. They'll have a rookie as their field goal kicker going to camp. That hasn't happened here in a very long time. The other thing that hasn't happened in a very long time, if I go back to quarterbacks, this is the first training camp in Green Bay that hasn't featured Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers in 32 seasons. How about that? Yeah. So (laughs) the special teams, if I go back to that, special teams, Rich Passacci, a great coach, Keyson Nixon, a great returner, but the kicking game with a rookie field goal kicker, place kicker, is going to be a question mark and going to have people holding their breath all season. My final question is going to go way off the board, and I apologize if you don't have a whole lot of information to go off of, but there's a guy in Packers camp who Giants fans will remember because of his incredible story, uh, Corey Ballantyne, backup cornerback who came to the Giants. He had been injured in a shooting uh, off-campus shooting in college. His friend had been fatally shot. It was a story that just was unbelievable. And when he got here to the Giants, you know, everybody was rooting for him, and it just never worked out. He was such a good kid, but but obviously the circumstances were devastating. Since he got released by the Giants, he's had cups of coffee in camps or on rosters with the Jets, the Lions, the Falcons, the Cardinals. Now he's with the Packers. Is there anything you could tell me about how he's doing? I mean, obviously he has bounced around like a ping pong ball, but everybody who got to meet him as a youngster was rooting for this kid because he needs some positivity to happen in his life after that horrible, horrible collegiate accident uh, with the shooting. 
Yeah, and I think he's going to have to be one of those guys. That, I mean, last year he had five assisted tackles. That was his uh, whole by, that was his whole line of, of a year ago. He played with the Lions a little bit the year before. Um, he's going to have to impress Rich Basaccia, the special teams coach, in order to be part of the mix. Yeah. Green Bay's had a, a big, uh, a large amount of turnover in the secondary for opportunities on the field, but special teams is where a guy like Valentine has to be able to make the team. I didn't, I, I, I don't know as much about him as it sounds like you do, but he's somebody that when we go to camp, we'll be paying attention to and looking up to, to find more of the story. He'll be a great training camp story for you. I promise you that. And, uh, you know, everybody always wishes him the best, and we'll see how it works out. Well, it's Very the good. Giants and the Packers at MetLife Stadium, Monday Night Football, Week 14, December 11th at 8.15 p.m. Eastern kickoff. Though, then again, that is going to be the time period where they can mix and match games following the bye week. So, TBA, <laughs> I just want to put that out there. That's right. hey, yeah. Well, hey, you know, Jordan Love, the Giants, listen, you know you can't predict, Mike can attest this, you can't predict anything in the National Football League. No, not at all. So, you pencil things in, you don't pen them in. Hey, come on, they, yes. they play the greatest London game ever last year. Well, they did, but if you remember, that was a little bit hey, earlier in the season. It wasn't that great. It wasn't great from Mike's perspective and the results, so don't necessarily remind him. Yes. Well, he is Mike Keller, Sports Talk Radio host in Wisconsin. You can hear him on 97.3, the game. Mike, really can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time and the inside, and we look forward to talking down the road. Stay well, Mike. Let- yeah, Lance and Paul, uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. You got it. Our pleasure. Mike Heller with the latest in terms of what's going on in Green Bay, and it is a transitional season. I think that's a very appropriate way mm-hmm. to describe the Packers. I think Mike echoed my sentiments as I introduced him off the top because that statistic that he threw out, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> over three decades, they have not experienced something like that, which is amazing. It reminded me of, and I want to get your reaction, The best example I could give you is the San Antonio Spurs. David Robinson to Tim Duncan without Mm -hmm. any interruption. And there was an overlap between those guys. And look at this level of success that the Spurs had. You'd be hard-pressed, Paul, in sports to find where the bridge is continuous and there's no interruption in terms of your franchise guy, your leader. Yeah, I mean, look, when you're talking about the most important position on the field in football— when you are fortunate enough to have two legendary mainstays, let's just say in a collection of five quarterbacks, if over five or six you get two, you're going to be thrilled. To get the back-to-back, that's insane. That just does not happen. So, you know, I, I, I wonder, and we know the Packers faithful, I mean, they all own a part of the team. We we know it's such a unique, a unique setup. Yep, experience when you're a Packers fan in Green Bay, at Lambeau Field, man. It's the cathedral of the NFL. I've told you this many times. It's my favorite place to go because it just reeks nostalgia from the Lombardi Trophy outside in the parking lot, which you swear his eyes watch you when you walk past him. You swear it, and and you could hear him talking. It, it's chilling. It is such an awesome experience. Go to Green Bay, folks, if you ever get a chance to see a game at Lambeau. But my point being, those folks, I mean, remember Magic Man, Magikowski? Yep. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, Star going way, way, way back. But they've had some quarterbacks who could really wing it there over the years. And I, and I, I use Magic Man as an example because that, that even predates Favre. How much patience are they going to have if Love really does fall on his face out of the gate? They haven't got a veteran backup who can really prove that they can win games in this league with. So what happens if they really, really struggle and they've got no answers throwing the ball? Are those Packers fans who are, I don't want to say spoiled, that's not the right term to use, but are used to a high level of play from their quarterback are they going to get really, really ticked off? Or are they going to say, hey, you know what? We had this phenomenal run, which seemed like forever. It's time to pay the piper. This year, we just won't have a good quarterback. Will they feel that way? I I don't know. I'm inclined to think not, because most fans don't have patience. They don't appreciate and are grateful for what they have. They always want to know, 
What do we have now, and what did we lose? Because if Aaron Rodgers does well for the Jets and love falls apart for the Packers, their anger may be inflamed. Sure, but I think the writing on the wall had been that Aaron was going to part ways with that team sooner rather than later. You'd have to be really naive, Paul, if you're a Packers fan and didn't anticipate eventually there was going to be a transition. So I would probably lean more towards the latter than the former of your two sets. How many fans will blame the Packers more for that separation, though, than Rodgers? I don't know if they would necessarily blame either party because I think you could point to what we've gone through remember we've had two off seasons of this Paul maybe even three well the so, business model dictated what was going to happen correct once you draft a quarterback in the first round and you know you have the fifth year option mm-hmm. there was a plan and I think what happened is and we don't need to go over history but Aaron had those back-to-back MVP years and they were probably saying to themselves he's closer to the end more so than continuing mm-hmm. to peak and you turn around and you say, do we really want to separate from a guy that's playing at an MVP I level? And I know. they wanted to extend their stay with him. Meanwhile, Jordan Love is itching to get on the field. And it happened much later than they had anticipated. But I think, once again, most fans understood this day was going to come. There's growing pains whenever you transition to a younger quarterback. I'm not saying they're going to be content. I'm not saying they're going to be happy. But I think that they're going into this season with their eyes wide open that they could be in store for their fair share of ups and downs. To bring this back to the Giants, the good news for Big Blue is that by the time they play the Packers in December, we will all know what the Packers are. Sure, but that also may be bad news too because you could say there's more comfort with Jordan Love in the offense. By the See, I would want to play the Packers earlier in the season. I would want to get them when they're raw. You've got, we just talked with Mike, young receivers, young tight ends, Mm -hmm. maybe a team that leans more on the run game. By the time you get to the Giants matchup, I would say, assuming Jordan Love is fully healthy and everything is status quo, don't you feel they're going to be much more comfortable as an offense? Comfortable with losing? Well, that's beside, listen, you could be a losing team, but still be a dangerous team in fairness, Paul. I understand. I, I don't have a lot of high expectations for the Packers. Well, neither this year. do I. And so I think by the time they play the Giants, they will have puttered along, sputtered along, uh, run through a bunch of potholes, had a few flat tires, <laughs> and it might not be a bad time to get them, especially because they have to come here to MetLife Stadium. No, and I get where you're coming from, but I guess the way that I look at it is they're such a young team. You're going to play those guys late in the season. You know what I'm saying? Because you need to see what you have Mm -hmm. in that group. Whereas you've seen, Paul, you could be maybe a veteran team. You get around to week 14. The team knows mathematically out of it. You're a little bit worried. You may be going a direction of evaluating other talent. Matt LaFleur is going to be of the mindset from start to finish. We've got to build some continuity, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So the group that I see coming about in week 14 could be a much more comfortable group. It doesn't mean they're going to be a juggernaut, and I'm not saying they're going to win 10 games. But I do think by that time, there's going to be a greater command on the offensive side of the ball. So that's why, once again, if you were to ask me, I'd rather see the Packers earlier than see them later in the season just because of those factors. Understood. No problem with that. (laughs) And once again, we will see what that point of the season presents because I brought it up jokingly, but when you get to Week 14 you have the flex in I mean, play. So we don't know if that's even going to be a prime time I mean, game. the Vikings and the Lions, whether or not you think that's 1-2 or 2-1, they're the class of the division. I would agree. Right? And so the other two, Packers, Bears... More question marks. To yeah. me, there, there are just far too many question marks to even think that they're going to be in contention for the division. And I would even put the Bears ahead of the Packers because Justin Fields has experience. Mm-hmm. And he has the same offensive coordinator. So they're ahead of the curve, Paul, I agree. compared to Green Bay. Jordan Love, he's been in this offense. And there is something to say, Paul, about you learn from Aaron Rodgers. You understand Matt LaFleur's tendencies, the personnel he's been around, at least the guys that haven't mm-hmm. been rookie. I think all of that is positive and encouraging. But it's what I say about any profession in this country. Until you get thrown into the fire and you're at the controls, no you doubt. never know how a person is going to handle those circumstances. There's a reason they call it practice and a reason they call it a regular season game. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, that's what Mike said. Mike said, right, we're not going to know anything about Jordan Love in the preseason. It's just the way it is. Yeah. But you, once again, I'm saying you could say that about most professions, right? You can have a mentor. No you could watch what the mentor no does. And then all of a sudden the lights are on. You have to take on those responsibilities, answer the call. It's not the same anymore. Mm -hmm. You don't have that lifeline to help you out. So I think the Packers are an interesting team to look at this season because they are truly handing over the reins to not just the new quarterback, but a young wide receiver core as well as the tight ends. And if their offensive line and their running game holds up, I think they could be a tough out from that standpoint because that will help any young quarterback be able to lean on some of those proven commodities. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A few reminders before we move on to other items here. The Giants Huddle Podcast, you could check that out. You could subscribe to it on your favorite podcast platform or Giants.com slash podcast. And we are inching closer to the 2023 NFL season. The official schedule is out. Single game tickets are on sale now. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. You can also take your fan to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And you could also watch the Giants from afar, the official connected TV streaming app. Giants TV, it brings you original video content, game highlights on demand, and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. So that is some house cleaning here on the program. <laughs> the other thing we wanted to get to, and I know you and Jonathan Casillas did a program not too long ago right. where you put together your starting five in basketball. Right. Off the Giants roster. Correct. So we just had the MLB All-Star game. Yes, we did. So in the spirit of that, Paul got his creative juices flowing. And he said, well, why don't we put together a baseball lineup and apply that to the Giants roster? And athleticism, they're not short on that on this roster because there's a lot of athletes that have experience in a variety of different sports. I would say maybe more basketball than baseball, but you can at least apply some rationale based on what you expect out of position. So I will offer you the floor first in terms of where you want to take this rodeo. Okay. So you want me to submit my lineup card? And by the way, my manager is Sterling Shepard. Oh, you gave a manager. I did list too. a manager okay. because you could have went with a coach too. I could have, have I could have, but I went with Sterling Shepard simply because we all know the heartbeat of that locker room. He has the spirit. Oh my goodness, does he have the spirit. So I decided I would go with Sterling as the manager because his, his vocal presence could be heard throughout the stadium from the dugout. So I went with Sterling Shepard as my manager. So let me start there. Uh, leading off in center field, Jalen Hyatt. Uh, love the speed, love the range, love the hands. Perfect center fielder for me. I thought that was a pretty easy selection. Batting second at second base, I took Nate Belton. I thought that Belton, obviously being a defensive back, uh, you figure, you know, he's got some instincts. Instincts. He's got some hands. Uh, he's got some range. Uh, tough. No doubt, tough. Can turn the double play. So I got Nate Belton as my uh, Dane, second. Dane Belton. Dane Belton. Dane Belton. Okay. I, well, yes. I don't keep saying Nate. Yeah, you said Nate. I was like, who's he talking about? And then I'm like, okay. I don't know why I Dane kept Belton. saying uh, Nate. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Dane Belton. Dane uh, he's, Belton. He's batting yes. second at second base. My third baseman in the number three hole is Saquon Barkley. I just the hot think, corner. I just think that the guy's a physical specimen. He's just he's suited for that spot. You know, he, there's nothing he can't handle over there. Okay. So I've, I've got him batting third, playing third base. My cleanup hitter at first base, Daniel Bellinger. The man is cut out of stone. Do I need to say anything else? Sure. Especially the way he looks this year. Uh, my designated hitter, Kayvon Thibodeau, batting fifth. Again, tremendous physical specimen. I just think uh, he, he's going to force pitchers to pitch to Bellinger. Because they don't want to walk Bellinger to get to Kayvon. That's just not a good idea. I, I don't just don't see that. So he's in my five hole as protection. My right fielder is uh, Darren Waller. Again, okay. you talked about athleticism to start off this conversation. <laughs> Do you really need to say anything else about Darren Waller besides he's athletic? So I've got him in right field uh, in that spot. Following uh, in left field, I've got Lawrence Cager. 
once again, another terrific athlete and in the blueprint of Waller. So those are my corner outfielders. Uh, batting eighth is my catcher, Bobby O'Kiriki. Now, I figure this mentally, right? He's the middle linebacker on the team. So he's sure, he's got sense. he's got the brains to be behind the plate, right? The green dot. Just makes a lot of sense for me. He's he's strong, he's tough, he's physical. I like I like O'Kiriki behind the plate there in the number eight spot. And batting ninth, my shortstop is Cordell Fly. I like his length, he's wiry. Uh, he's got some quicks, hands. Does he have an arm, though? Remember, to play short, you got to be able to dig it out. I suspect he does. I suspect he does. I don't know. You're really going out on a limb on this one here. But I would have got more into the scouting report and done some research to see whether or not Flott's got the arm. So, well, I'm I'm going to speculate on that right now because I like okay. the other tools that seem to fit the sure. mold. Okay. My starting pitcher is Daniel Jones. I mean, whew. yes. Well, I think that is synonymous. With and one and okay. my my closer is Tyrod Taylor. Again. Whew. Okay. All right. So you really dolled this up. <laughs> that, that, the, wasn't, that wasn't really I, hard. No. And that, that and that's hard. that's sure. where I went with my all baseball Giants starting nine. Okay. Well, I'll piggyback off of where you ended. I have Tyrod Taylor on the mound. Okay. Because my feeling was Daniel Jones would be a great shortstop because oh. of his arm. So see, that's where I went. Now, Daniel 6'5". How many 6'5 oh. shortstops have you ever seen? No, in the normally Major League you Baseball? don't see them, but I think Jones does have the athleticism. No I mean, doubt. You see the mobility. Once again, I want the arm. The arm is important to me at short, Paul. If I'm going to put you there, you know, I'm not expecting you to do this Derek Jeter jump twirl around. I want you to be able to scoop and throw. I consider Daniel Jones for right field. Well, that's an option too because of his mobility, but I want, to me, arm strength at shortstop is critical. So I will okay. overlook the height concern. Okay. And I think he can get in triple threat position, and I think he could get down and dirty. So that's why Tyrod Taylor pitching, Daniel Jones is shortstop. Okay, now Tyrod's a starter or a closer? Oh, no, he's a starter. He's a starter. Do you have a closer? No, I did not think that deep. Okay. Because, you know, when you gave me the parameters of these rules, I didn't think you were going to throw some additional curveballs. Maybe after I go through the whole process, I will give you a closer. Okay. But Taylor on the mound, Daniel Jones at short. The outfield. Yes. Okay, I'm going to jump around here you got to look at the wide receivers because, to me, you want them to be able to gain traction and cover a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. So, to me, it's real easy. I'm with you. Jalen Hyatt in center field. Okay. Paris Campbell. I'm not overlooking his speed. I thought okay? about it. I'm going to put him out at right field, and then I'm going to put Darius Slayton out in left. Thought I'm going him too. clean sweep for the outfield. I also thought about Xavier McKinney out there, too. McKinney, too, because of his range. Yes, I was thinking that as well. And and you could make an argument for Tay Banks. Sure. I Absolutely. Mean, certainly yeah. has the speed, the height. 100%. But you know, No, 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 you bring up a good point, but here's where the scouting report gets into it, okay? The wide receivers on a daily basis right. are catching the football. True, Okay. true. Nothing against Deontay Banks, and... Hopefully, he'll be an opportunistic player. Mm -hmm. But he's more about breaking up the passes. He's not overly concerned about catching them. It's interesting you say that because that's why I did not even consider a Dory Jackson. Because for as well as he plays, he does not get picks. Exactly. Well, and McKinney, he's gotten picks. But once again, I feel more secure with an offensive-minded okay. wide receiver in the outfield. I want guys that I know can chase down balls and catch them. And they have the glove okay. to make the job easier. Now, so okay? far, so that was so my far just so you know, so yes. far, you don't have a lot of power in this lineup. No, but I'm a team that is going to have really good pitching. We're going to be the Tampa Bay Rays. Okay. okay. We're going to beat you two to one. See, you're thinking well, about our, our the Rosalina has popped. Sure. But when it comes to the playoffs, <laughs> when it comes to the playoffs, okay. what do the Yankees get caught up in? I know. They live and die by the long ball. I know. Okay. Right. I want to play small ball. I want to outrun you. And I want to manufacture runs like that. Okay, so you've given me a shortstop I've given and three you, outfielders. Correct. And a pitcher. And a pitcher. And a okay. Okay? This is a process. Okay. Yes. I really want you to soak this in. I am. I'm okay? trying to. I put a lot of thought into this. You should be happy. Okay. Darren Waller. Yes. He is my first baseman. And okay. we've had big guys at first base, so I don't think that's 
out of line. I have Bellinger at first. Okay. That's very well, similar. I wasn't expecting you to debate it. I just, I want to give you. It's a good you, call. I'm giving you my reason. It's, a, it's a good call. Okay. okay. So there you go. Because, you know, you think about first base. <laughs> Guys who have a big radius in terms of catch yes. can cover yes. and space. It's a power and so position. Yes, 100%. Bellinger is my catcher because when you look at how well-rounded his form is, I want a guy who can block the plate. And I think Bellinger is also a smart and savvy overlooked guy, even though he's not necessarily playing quarterback. In order to play the tight end position when it comes to blocking and receiving, I think you have to understand the mental side of the game. To my recollection, Cliff Johnson former Astro and Yankee and Blue Jay, uh, I think is the biggest catcher that I can ever recall because Bellinger's 6'4", 6'5". Yep. The average height of a major league catcher is only six feet, which is why I went with Okereke because I, I just no, think I get Bellinger's that. just, yeah. he's too tall to be a catcher. Well, and remember, I'm going out of line with Daniel Jones at shortstop two, which is on the tall side too, but yes. I, have confidence, yes, you are. I have confidence in Bellinger's knees and being able to squat for long periods of time because of all the weightlifting that he put in to the offseason. By that rationale, you could put Barkley behind the plate. You could put Barkley, but remember, I have not rounded out my infield yet, okay? (laughs) A little bit of a tease here. Okay, so Saquon is my second baseman. Okay. Because I like my second baseman not being too tall. I like them being shifty. Okay, he'll be perfect to help scrap the double play. Correct, exactly. So that was my mindset with Saquon Barkley at second base. At third, and at third, you need arm strength too, Mm -hmm. but I would say shortstop is far more important, so I'm not necessarily looking so much into that, but I like Wandell Robinson at third base. Another guy, but but, you know, I don't think third basemen have to be required to be tall or have the height, in my opinion. Well, length's important for range. No, no, to cover the ground, but also you need to be able to be able to react fast, and I think Wandell Robinson is a shifty guy. I think he'd be mm-hmm. great at the hot corner. Would you buy Darnay Holmes? Why had I contemplated? Holmes, I think, would be a stronger candidate. I'd still lean more towards the athleticism okay. of what a wide receiver would showcase. I was on the fence with Robinson and Sterling Shepard. So that's why I went with Wandell Robinson. I just think there's a little bit more athleticism. Remember, Shepard's been through some injuries here yes. and there. I know Robinson's coming off the torn ACL, but you know, I took all of this into consideration. Me and my scouts... We had a very heart-to-heart conversation. Well, I'm impressed that you did give it that much thought. Now, unfortunately, you did not give a one-to-nine lineup. No, I did. Well, I wasn't like, thinking like I that. I mean, to me, it's because I of, went another level. I know you did. Well, I haven't named my designated hitter, by the way. <laughs> no, you have not. Yet. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Because yeah. I was going to say you did leave Thibodeau off your team. I did. My designated hitter, Evan Neal. Oh I wow! I think Neal's got power. Remember, when he was drafted, we were talking about he doesn't look like your typical offensive lineman. Right. Because he's slender. Correct. But he bags a lot of power. And I think that's overlooked. So Evan Neal is my secret weapon. I'm not asking him to do anything in the field. I'm just asking him to come up at the plate and swing for the fences. And I think he could deliver with respect to that. Kind of like the big hurt. Exactly. But he looks like the big hurt from right. that standpoint, right? Frank I, Thomas. I, that's why for I went there. For those youngsters who may not realize. That's why I the went former there. White Sox slugger. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, that's So that is my breakdown. My full detailed synopsis of a baseball team and how that would fit into the Giants roster. Very cool. So, you know, you could hit me up at Giants WFAN or him at Lance Meadow on Twitter if you have any thoughts about this because we cannot take phone calls sure. during yeah. this program today. But, hey, Don, did you have somebody you wanted to chime in on? Did you have a, a, a strong objection to either one of these lineups? I think that Lance is on the right uh, thought process with uh, the quarterback at shortstop. But I think I'd flip it and go Tyrod Taylor at shortstop and keep Daniel Jones on the and Jones and I think Tyrod Taylor I'd agree with that. to cover a little more ground over there. He's a little bit quicker, a little shorter. The height's a little bit of a concern. Other than that, you guys, both great lineups. I'd probably keep Darren Waller in the outfield as well. Yeah, the right fielder should be a bigger, good arm. But then I'd go two wide receivers left and center. Well, but, I mean, we don't know about Waller's arm, though, too. I would bring that that's, up for debate here. Do we know? I mean, I don't know of him having a baseball background. I don't know if any of the guys have a baseball yeah. background, to be frank with you. Yeah. But I just... Uh, I projected based on the athleticism that we've seen that he would be a really good right fielder. No, and once again, I, I think that there is a very good sense behind that. I just look at 
a number of wide receivers, and I'd have to go back and look the background of all the wideouts on this team, but a number of wide receivers have quarterback in their background because some yes. of these guys played QB in high school. Mm-hmm. So if you played quarterback in high school, I would like your chances of having a good arm to throw it from the outfield. Waller, I just don't know if he has any quarterback history. I, I think Dom's thinking yeah. on Tyrod Taylor. I, I kind of if you're gonna sell me on a quarterback playing short, I'm with I'm with Dom. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Who do you think guys has the stronger arm between Taylor and Jones? Jones. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's why I would lean more towards But he's also six five. No, one hundred percent. But I, I, I don't think you guys are giving enough credit that tall people and you know me are giving credit to tall people of all individuals, right? I'm just blown no. away by that. Well, but I think that I think that the football players, especially if they understand the importance and especially if they've played basketball and once again I, I'm I don't want to get too technical, but there's a term in basketball called triple threat position which I'm sure you guys are aware right. of. And you should be able to dribble, play defense, mm-hmm. and shoot. Mm-hmm. So if you are good stance-wise, I don't think height is going to get in that way. And I think most of these guys have a pretty good stance where if I ask you to get into that triple threat position to command short, I think Daniel Jones can handle that. The bigger issue here, really, besides this conversation about shortstop and Dom, if you were to take that video clip and show it to Kayvon Thibodeau and tell him that Lance left him off the That's team. That's fine. Well, I left Lance Cager off the team, too, and Cager's a good athlete, too, in fairness. I was having problems trying to find Cager as Okay, as well. but remember, yeah. as Kayvon has told us, no yes. matter what sport you pick, he could dominate and be the best at it. Well, and I wouldn't expect anything less coming out of the mouth <laughs> of a highly prolific athlete. Yes. I will, I will defend. With much confidence. 100%. And that's a good thing. Yes, yes. it is. I will defend Adoree Jackson here. He fields punts, so I don't think he'd be that bad of a left fielder. I think he's got the tracking of. of it's not bad. I like that thought I, process. I think I had him yeah. under consideration, but again, I I decided that you know without a lot of picks, I could not put him in my life. No, and that was my thought process too. In fairness, thinking of that logic, Darnay Holmes is another guy who's been utilized on special teams oh, too, I or at least has been. You, I no, I know you brought him up, but you could say, okay, in well, hey, somewhere. I mean, listen, if you could feel the punt and you have to look up high and that's not necessarily mm-hmm. easy for everybody, I would think you've got a good chance to handle the outfield. I agree. Anyway, that was kind of fun. Absolutely. No. Well, we've done basketball. <laughs> we've done baseball. Does that mean hockey is going to be next? Are we going to make time when the hockey all-star game comes up? During no, because that's during the Giants' uh, playoff run. Okay. And we will not have dead time to think of that, well, but these creative things. We could bring it back perhaps a little bit later on next spring or something like that, too. And then we can at least feel as if we've covered the four major professional sports. See, so. now, Dom, if we really wanted to make Lance happy, we would ask him to pick out 20 members of the Giants to compete in a WWE Battle Royal. Royal Rumble is what you're talking about. Well, listen, I would say everybody would be a good candidate. No, I mean, in order to play football, you have to be physically minded, right? So I would assume we could put you in the ring. The question is we could determine and maybe script out who we would have out first, in last, or whatever it may be. I guarantee you that Andrew Thomas is standing at the end. Well, I'm surprised you didn't mention Ashawn Robinson or Dexter Lawrence. Good luck Uh, trying to throw them out of the ring. Uh, Andrew Thomas is standing at the end. Okay, I think Dexter Lawrence and Ashard Robinson would beg to differ. Even Nacho, I think, would be willing to throw himself into the mix. But I would say this. Offensive lineman on one side, defensive lineman on the other. Oh, my. Take your pick with respect to that. That would be some imagery playing out. And Thibodeau would be a manager. Well, for you to appease Kayvon Thibodeau by including him in this exercise. So that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We appreciate everybody tuning in, and we will be back up and running again on Monday as we will continue our opponent preview, and we're going to start focusing on the NFC East division overall because obviously the Giants will be Mm -hmm. playing them twice throughout the course of this season, so we save the best competitors for last. But certainly appreciate everybody for tuning in over the course of the program. And a reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll speak to you on Monday right here on BBKL. Have a good one. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. 
Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process with superior materials craftsmanship best in class warranty morton buildings are made to last for generations at morton the difference is in the details from their cutting edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field they are dedicated to surpassing expectations their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years and morton buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. 